Lord, made the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. Really, Lord, may you just speak through me. It's all about your glory. You love us. And you want to speak to us. So here I am, Lord, use me and speak in ways that we will all hear, be comforted, or challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. I again want to thank the elders for inviting me to be here this morning and for your church for showing up. You knew I was coming back and you came back anyway, so I appreciate you for that. Um, I want to thank the worship team this morning, especially... um, for leading us. You sang one of my favorite songs, um, Amazing Grace. And so a lot of you might not know my story because I've kind of been in and out in different roles. Um, I got saved at 17. I grew up in a non-Christian home, grew up without any really Christian influence. Um, We didn't even go to church for Christmas and Easter. My dad um, was a very German individual, kept his emotions in, had some other issues. And um, He had a fight, apparently, the story goes in the family, I don't know if it's true, with a pastor when I was about six years old and swore he'd never step foot in church again. And we didn't, and we weren't allowed um, until he, at least until he died, and then I was free to pursue my own paths again. But that's kind of where I grew up. And and then part of that I wanted to share this morning is that, you know, I did kind of, I've been a pastor for 20 years. Um, either an associate pastor, youth pastor, young adult pastor, college pastor, but always kind of the second in charge or lower. Um, so my heart's the church. My heart has always been the church. I feel called, um, have that pastoral calling. And then in about 2011, God um, had gotten my last degree and God was like, it's time to leave the local church and not just serve one church, but just church, serve larger churches. And so I went into teaching, became a professor, and did that diligently for seven years. Um, as God provided, I work at multiple schools. I could never land that one full-time position because for those in education, you know, full-time ed, um, jobs are decreasing because adjuncts, as we're called, are cheap. And um, so it was a perfect storm, but God has been faithful through it all. And then in about 2017, I got the opportunity to work with the center, um, which many of you know is the... Um, consulting firm that we've helped over 700 churches and individuals and nonprofits and businesses in the last 19 to 20 years, um, making a greater impact for the kingdom. And that's really always been my heart, is how can we strengthen the local church and make it the place that God's always intended to be? And that's always been my heart. And so that background leads into, because recently in my devotions, I was reading today's scripture, Luke 9, 28 through 36, and a phrase jumped out at me. Verse 32, Peter and the other disciples had fallen asleep. And now when a phrase jumps off a page at you, as kind of a pastor preacher, you write it down, and I wrote it down and said, Lord, someday I want to preach on that one because I know there's something there that I want to explore more. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to jump into looking at the story of the transfiguration, but maybe mainly through this little phrase, and they were asleep. And so that's where we're going this morning. So let's start with the scripture. Um, Luke 9. And I'm using the New Living Translation. I realized I didn't say that last week. And uh, 
I want to make sure you know, I like the New Living Translation, and all translations have positives and minuses. You know, you have to find one you like. I like the readability of this one because it's, it was written to be read out loud. And I think there's an element of scripture that was meant to be read out loud because that's what Paul did. That's what his letters did. Read this letter in the church. So I really like that about the New Living Translation um, with that. So where are we? Verse 28. And about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Now, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with them. And as Moses and Elijah were starting, starting to leave, Peter, even not knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud over shadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone, and they didn't tell anyone that that time what they had seen, at that time what they had seen. So you can see how that little phrase is just kind of hidden in there. And it doesn't give us a lot of insight in that. But it got me thinking, when have I been really sleepy? When have I been really drowsy? Um, and honestly, I've had too many times. You know, when I got my last degree, I was working full-time, going to school full-time. There were many late nights. There were many nights. Um, I'd finish a paper Saturday night at three, four, or five in the morning because I'm a night person, and then get up and be at church by nine and trying to stay awake to, uh, you know, participate in worship. Um, but probably the, the biggest element when I think about this is back when I was in college, I had a girlfriend who later became my wife, and we had our first summer apart. And so we were going to school in Philadelphia. I lived in Pittsburgh. She lived in Lancaster. So summer comes. I go to Pittsburgh. She goes to Lancaster. What? We were young. We were in love. We wanted to go see each other as much as possible. So almost every weekend, I would either drive to Lancaster to see her or she would drive to me or take a train to see me in Pittsburgh. And that was our routine. Well, as the summer was going along, you start trying to stretch out. So I'd normally leave Friday someday and I'd have to leave Saturday night. Well, I remember one Saturday night, it was like, oh, I should really leave at nine, you know, and it's about five hours-ish. That gets me home by two. Well, then, all right, I'll stay till 10. Okay, I'll stay till, it got to be midnight. So then I flipped and I went, okay, how about I'll just go to sleep and I'll get up at 4.30 in the morning and then drive home. And so that's what I did. So you can always see the mistakes coming there. So the reason this ride sticks out at me is because I was in the fast lane and I fell asleep driving. And I went across the slow lane and it wasn't for the rumble strips that they had on the turnpike that woke me up at a time just when the road was turning or else I would have kept going straight. And I was able to wake up, get control of the car. It scared me 
so bad that I pulled over onto the shoulder and I said, Lord, I don't care if I get fired. I am taking a nap because if not, I will die driving home. So I take a nap. I don't know. I slept 30 minutes or so. And I got back in the car. I felt wide awake at that point, And I kept driving with the window down, you know, so you get the air and the music up really loud. And I go, and some, this is the crazy part. I still made it on time for church. I don't know what happened. I don't know how God did that. But at that point, I also was like, I will never do that again. And that, I think we've all been there. We work hard. We go. You get into a nice warm room. You get somewhere. And all of a sudden, you just get really sleepy. But then I was wondering, I think there's another type of sleepiness that we have today. I know we can get tired and sleepy from ministry. Ministry's hard. I can imagine the disciples were exhausted and Jesus is taking on a little hike up a hill and they get to sit down and they're just like, you know, if you look back in the scripture, they just fed 5,000. They just cleaned up after 5,000, you know, picked up all those baskets of leftovers they were probably exhausted. They just could have been tired from ministry. And I think we can relate to that because I know, I would guess a few of you might even have fallen asleep in church. I know some days, especially when I was working late on my papers and then going to church, I had to fight to stay awake in church um, because it can be church is warm and all that. But then this other type of tiredness besides ministry tiredness is I think our world today can wear us down. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm kind of avoiding the news right now because it is not happy. It's like everything is negative and negative and negative, and it's really hard to find any places of hope, so I just kind of tune it off, you know? I just kind of stop. Like, um, my family, we go to a church that does kind of, um, we at least recognize Advent, I mean, Advent and Lent, and so we have an Ash Wednesday service, then we have Lent. And so my family always says, hey, let's give something up for Lent or add something for Lent just for the fun. Well, I have to always like give up politics and news because I realize that is what drains me the most and really takes my eyes off of God is if I read too many political websites or I'm watching too much of the news. And so I just take a fast from it and say, Lord, put me back on you. So I think all this, I, I don't know about you. <clears throat> I'm tired of all the fighting in politics. I know I've said it before. I think Satan's number one goal right now is division. And he wants us to become us and them as much as possible. And, and it seeps into the church. And we as a church have to say, no, 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 we're not going to play Satan's game. We're going to come together. We're going to be together. We're not going to allow division to seep in. Um, I know I'm also tired of all the violence in our country and the death and the, we live in a fallen world and having bad things happen. I just checked my phone because my wife is texting me. She was worried, made sure I got here today with the weather. And I saw that an airliner crashed today. Um, haven't heard the results yet, but it skidded off a runway. So that hopefully that's a safer one. Um, but that, we live in a fallen world where bad things happen all the time. And if you listen to it, you start going, where's God in all this? And I don't know, I'm also, I mourn, I think is the better way, not just tired, but I'm grieving the loss of a Christian nation. You know, we're not a Christian nation anymore. We're a post-Christian nation, which means they've kind of looked at Christianity and said, society, and said, mm, that doesn't really apply anymore. We don't need to obey that. We don't need to worry about that. And they've moved beyond it. And so as church leaders and as Christians, 
you can start feeling even more and more marginalized. And that can make you tired. And, I mean, to be honest, I've been up here, I feel like we've been here a lot. You may be just tired of talking about merging. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could just be like, oh, wow, you know? Because we know that there's emotions on both sides. We know, as I said last week, some feel like it's a death, it's a grieving, it's a loss. Others feel like it's a resurrection. It's new life, it's something new. But both of those emotions can make you tired, can make you feel like, really, are we being separated because of this? And so that's kind of what's in my head as I read this, because it's easy to start losing hope. And I wonder if that's part of what the disciples were feeling. Not only had they just fed their 5,000, but also when do they walk? Do they see the brutality of the Roman government? Do they see the crucifixions that are happening regularly? Do they see all this and just going, God, what are you doing to Israel? What are you doing to us? But either way, wherever we come on the tiredness scale, the sleepiness scale, we know Peter, James, and John's were invited on an adventure with Jesus. And they almost slept through it. And I think we, when we get too worn out from life, sometimes miss what God is doing in our midst because we stop seeing where God is at work because we're just tired. Now, I do have to say, because the teacher and me, some translations you will read will say they were just drowsy. Um, But the majority of them do point to the fact that they were asleep. There's also this possibility that God put them to sleep of just like, yeah, let's just let them fall asleep because Jesus needs some private time. You know, Jesus just needs to have a conversation without them hearing. I don't know that, but I just need to throw it out there. I'm going with the idea I think they slept. So here's four truths that I think Peter and James and J- Peter, John and James almost missed because they were asleep. And we'll apply them to our lives a little bit. Number one, Jesus in his glory. They almost missed Jesus in his glory. So in verse 28, about eight days later, this is beginning... Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, Jesus was praying, his appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Jesus was transformed, thus, we call this passage the transfiguration, and his face glowed. The imagery here is hearkening back to Moses. Back in Exodus 34, where Moses would meet with God and he would come out and his face would be glowing so he'd had to wear a veil. That's the imagery we get is that Jesus is just beaming with his glorious heavenly body. And his clothes became dazzling white. One commentary said dazzling white could also be translated as lightning. So imagine they're here, they're praying. Jesus sheds his earthliness and he glows and his clothes become like lightning. What an amazing picture of Jesus as God holy, pure, radiant. And the disciples almost missed it because they were sleeping. But we're the same. Where have we missed or forgotten that Jesus is the Son of God? Where have we started forgetting that we serve a God who's big enough to handle our problems? Have we forgotten that Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body? I think we've forgotten who we serve and that he has chosen us to serve with him. You know, one of the amazing things when you really, part of why I say the church 
is one of my passions is because I think it was Bill Hybels that said, the church is the hope of the world. I mean, Jesus put all of his faith in the apostles and the early followers and said, you go be the church. And we talked about last week why the church is important, but it's on us. And honestly, does God really need us to do anything? He's God. Does Jesus need us? No. So why does Jesus choose to use us? Why did he say this is the best way to reach a lost people? Is through people. I think it's because in a fallen world, you need skin on. They need to meet Jesus with skin on. They need to meet people that are going to sit with them that are gonna pray with them, that are gonna cry with them, that are gonna walk with them through their grief and their valleys and the highs and the lows. Because when we are with people in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there and he wants to use us to do that. And I think sometimes we can forget that God's chosen us to be a part of this amazing ministry to the world, that we get to be a part of his reconciling this world to Jesus. So maybe a homework assignment for you is go back and read the end of Job 38. You know, you know, Job lost everything, testing from Satan. Will he curse God or not? And then all the friends come and kind of like, hey, Job, we're going to help sort out your life. I mean, the first thing they did right is they sat with him in grief for seven days. That's the best advice I could give you when anybody loses someone. Just go sit with them for seven days. They don't need answers. They just need presence. But then they wanted to solve the theological problems of why did all the bad things happen to Job. And Job kind of starts arguing with them, and you read the whole book, it's kind of fun. But at the end, God shows up, and he says, all right, Job, I hear you. I'm not going to answer your questions, but I am going to ask you this. Were you there when I called the stars by name? Were you there when I created this earth? Were you there when I named, when I did all the animals? No, I don't think so, Job, because your ways... Your eyes are not seeing my big picture. And I think sometimes we have to go back and say, Lord, I am so sorry because I've made you so small. And I don't see how big you really are and really big on what you're doing. Maybe for other of us, we need to go read Revelation and just again get this picture. Jesus is going to return on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth in a blaze of glory. And the whole world is going to know he is king and he is Lord. And they will all bow down and say, you are king and Lord. And then he's going to have to sort them like sheep and goats. But they're all going to know that there is a God. And he is true and he is real. And he has been here once and he is coming back again. Maybe we just need to go back and read the gospels this Lenten season and just read again the stories of Jesus that heals the sick that weeps with the grieving, that can stop a storm, that can raise the dead, and that conquers death every time. Maybe that is what we need to see in this story of where Jesus takes off and the disciples got to see it for a little bit. Second point, I think this verse points to God's plan as being fulfilled and the disciples almost missed it. So the two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from the world, which is death on the cross, and then resurrection, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So remember, Moses and Elijah are like the big ones. 
Like they're the big symbols of the Old Testament. Moses, writer of the first five books of the Bible. And Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets, defeats the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And they kind of become, in the writings, become the representation of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And so here they are showing up with talk with Jesus. Now, this is interesting. In Malachi, you know, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. This is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which I believe is the last six verses of the Old Testament. The Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out, of a, out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. And look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike this land with a curse. Right there, the last promise the Israelites were had before they say God went 400 years of silence was Moses, Elijah. Elijah's going to come, and then one day I'm coming. And this is a unique verse in that it's both Jesus' coming then and his second coming are represented in this. That's what happens when those two show up. Luke is wanting us to know when he retells this story, this is part of God's plan. This, God has not forgotten. In fact, his plan was, has been in place since the first day of creation. And then throughout you know, in Genesis, when, when sin enters the world, it gives you that verse. Jesus will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will strike his heel. Prophecy about Jesus on the cross. And then through the whole Old Testament, through the Old New, New Testament, God's plan has been unveiled. And over and over again, God is fulfilling his plan. Even today, we still have a part to play. And today regardless what happens with the merge. God has a plan for you and for you to still play in this world and in his kingdom. He has a plan for you. He hasn't forgotten you. And to our senior saints, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. We can all rejoice that he doesn't ask you like Abraham at the 100 to have a baby. You know, that's, whoo, and Sarah. But he never gets them to retire. He always has roles for you to play because your voice and your mentoring, and as I said last week, you're walking with Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years is what us younger generations and the younger generations need to hear. Because the world isn't giving them any examples of that. They need to hear, no, Jesus has been faithful to me for so long. Let me tell you how. Let me show you the ways he's walked with me through decade after decade after decade because they don't know. 
because they haven't had that much experience yet. And thinking about this merge, I hope you know that there are hundreds and hundreds of people at Grace praying God's will for this. And they're trying to figure out, and they're leaning towards that God's calling these churches to merge. That the 12 elders of Grace have prayed and fasted and feel like God is leading them to be a part of this merge. Your own elders have prayed and fasted and feel like God is leading Bethlehem Church to merge. There's people in here who already feel convinced God is leading you all to merge. And I know the majority doesn't always make things right, but what this does show us is God will tell you. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, will speak to you and let you know how you should feel about this merge. So I say in these next few weeks, you lean into that and you say, Lord, a lot of arrows are pointing that direction. Is that what you want from us? Is that what you want from me to be a part of your kingdom and this new thing that others see you're doing? Is that what you want from me? That's our prayer in these next few weeks is, Lord, what's my role in this? Third point, Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. This is when we get with them falling asleep and then wake up and Peter in his startledness is like, whoa, not knowing what he's saying. Master, it's wonderful to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials for you, Moses and Elijah. See, Peter wanted to make memorials, tabernacles it's called in the original, which makes us think about the Feast of Tabernacles, which the Jewish people would celebrate every year, remembering their time in the desert and pointing towards the end times. And Peter's like, yes, let's make a tabernacle for our... And God steps in and goes, no, no, no. A cloud envelops them, terror grips them, and a voice says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Almost as if God is saying, no, 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 this isn't about Moses and Elijah. This is about my son. You need to listen to him. That is what all of creation points to. Jesus, not the Old Testament, not the prophet. It's Jesus. And they hearing that voice, feel terror inside of them. Because sometimes in our world, the way Jesus is treated, we forget that it's all about Jesus. We do. That's what this is all about. The reason you and I are saved, it's not because our parents were saved. It's not because we come from a long line of Christians. It's not because of what church we went to. It's because at some point, I hope, you had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. And you heard inside a voice, an audible, a feeling of stirring of saying, yes, I need to surrender to you because you are so much greater than I am. I can't do this life myself. Being 17 when I got saved, I had and did a lot of stuff that screwed up my life. And if God wouldn't have intervened at that point, I firmly believe I would probably be dead by now for the trajectory I was on. That's what it's about. It's not about bigger churches. It's not about bigger things. It's about Jesus Christ touching our lives, transforming us and saying, oh, by the way, you're my hands and feet. You are now my church. Go touch others. Go be a part of that. It's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's about Jesus. He is the one. The fourth point, heaven is real. 
See, the two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. See, Moses died. And he died. And because of his own striking of a rock, Jesus says, you're not entering, I mean, God said, you're not entering the promised land. He had to go up on the hill, on the mountain, look at the promised land. And God said, no, even though you led these people for 40 years, no, you're going to die here and we're going to let Joshua do it over. And then we have Elijah who was taken up into heaven in a chariot and never died. If only Elijah appeared, we could start thinking it's only the really good ones that get to be in heaven. It's not the ones like Moses that didn't get to go on the promised land, but he's still in heaven. That is great comfort to me, is that heaven is real, and it's not just for the precious few, but it's for all that call on the name of Jesus. And so maybe today, you don't need to read Job, you don't need to read Revelation, maybe you just need comfort to know heaven is real. There is an afterlife. There is an eternity. There is something beyond today that's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. And you've been invited in that. And because of Jesus Christ, as John 14 says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. When we go to him, he not only comes and lives inside of us through his Holy Spirit, he writes our name in the book of life. And we get to live in eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. So maybe today you just need to be encouraged. There is a heaven. It is real. Moses and Elijah that appeared on this mountain were real people that had come back to encourage Jesus during his time of leading to him going to the cross. I also need to say in these verses, as I was studying them, there is a little caution there. So when he, as Peter was speaking, a cloud came over them and terror, terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And this voice spoke. Some commentaries kind of pick up on this idea that God is rebuking Peter a little bit. Peter's talking about them being equal and let's build towers. Everyone needs a great memorial. And God's like, time out, stop. This is my son. And he's kind of rebuking Peter when Peter wants his own way instead of God's way. And so, and the reason is, is because in verse earlier in Luke chapter nine, Jesus says this to the crowd. This is why some commentaries connect the two. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and then the glory of the father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. So I wonder if God isn't rebuking Peter a little bit and going, no, no, no. It's not about your will. It's not about tabernacle. It's not about what you want. It's about what I want. Because what he says is, this is my son, the chosen one. Chosen one is a reference to Isaiah 41.1, the chosen service passage, which is all about the Messiah. And he tells them his final words, listen to him. And Jesus has told us before this, it's going to be hard to follow me. It is. It is hard to follow Jesus. You will have to make choices. I, when I was working with teenagers and I say it to my own kids, I say, hey, look, as a Christian, you have to think more. 
Because your friends who aren't saved, they don't care what movies they see. They don't care what songs they listen to. They don't care what they do on their Saturday nights, Sunday nights, where they go, what they do. But because you have Jesus Christ living inside of you, you actually have to think about those things. You have to actually enter into this conversation with God. Is God, is this good for me? Is this what you would want for me to do? Is this where you want me to go? And sometimes it, it means giving up your dreams and plans because God wants to put, replace them with a greater dream or plan. But we don't know yet because God hasn't told us. He just says, are you willing to lay things down for me? Are you willing to let go of your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me? We have to deny ourselves. Sometimes we just want God to stop what he's doing. And we're like, no, God, don't do anymore. And he's like, you don't understand. This is good for you. Or it's good for the people around you. Because see, again, our ways are not God's ways. We don't see the full tapestry. Only God sees the tapestry. We just see this little sliver of what God is doing. We don't know what God's doing five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50, 100 years from now. We don't know what God's going to be doing. We just see our little part, and we try to be faithful in that. So God says, stop and listen to Jesus, which is really the focus of all of this. The reason of the transfiguration is to remind us Jesus is the one true God. When he goes to the cross, which is what they were encouraging him about, he will conquer death forever. That's why we don't need the sacrificial system anymore. It's also why we don't have to fear death. As Paul writes later, oh, death, where is your sting? Because we as Christians, we don't have to fear death. Because all death is, it's a snap of a finger from life to life. If I'm alive today and I believe in heaven, death is but a, I'm now alive in Christ, in heaven. It's a door. It's nothing but a door. And you just, boom, it's life to life. That is what Jesus is offering us. It's all about him being fully God and fully human. So this morning as I conclude, are you sleepy? Are you falling asleep on the mountain? Are you so tired right now because of all those things that you've forgotten how glorious Jesus is? Have you forgotten how much he's changed your life? How different you would be if Jesus wasn't in your life? Have you forgotten that God has a plan and you are a part of that plan and you get to be a part of it? Have you forgotten that Jesus is greater than Moses? It's not about the law. It's not about prophecies. It's about Jesus, his son, the only way of salvation. Maybe you've forgotten heaven is real and you've just been discouraged, of, scared of what comes next. And you don't have to be afraid. Remember, heaven is a place where there's no more tears, no more sin, no more crying, no more loss. So let the following words that God speaks from the cloud be an encouragement to us. This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And don't let the tiredness of your work week or your worries and concern about this merge have you miss what God is doing in our midst, what he's doing in your life today. Jesus is still on the throne and he still holds this world in the palm of his hand. And as we think about prayer, Maybe you want to just take some time and say, God, wake me up. Help me not miss what I'm missing. Help me to see what you're doing. And if anyone here today 
is feeling that tugging of the heart is, I want this type of relationship with Jesus. I want a relationship where God speaks to me, guides me, leads me, transforms me, changes me from the inside out. Maybe this is the morning you just surrender and you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask you to come into my heart, sit on my throne and take over. And I worship you as God's true son. So let us pray. Lord, thank you for Luke writing this down, that we have these words of an image of you in your glorious, transfigured way. Because sometimes, Lord, we forget that you were not just human, you were fully God. And it's all about you. So this morning, encourage our hearts, Lord. Let us see you again and realize, oh, Jesus, you're the one I want to serve. You're the one I want to be with. You're the one I want to walk with. Let us, as we pray, that your spirit would speak clearly to each person about the merge, but not just the merge, because it's only one piece of a puzzle, about their life, Lord, about what you're calling them to, about where they can be your salt and light to their friends, their neighbors, their community, their workplaces about how they can be witnesses for you. Much like Peter, James, and John became witnesses. Amazing witnesses. And part of it is they had that touch of you that they always remembered when they got to see your glory. So Lord, we give you this day. Give everyone safe ride home. That the warm would continue to go, the rain would stop. And continue to speak to us, Jesus and transform us for your glory and your kingdom. In your name, amen.